You're listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, a proud part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. This is a vintage episode of SequelCast 2 and Friends. Audio quality may not be up to current standards. We apologize for the nastier audio artifacts. This is why you have risen. They believed in nothing. Now they are You and I, we will change all that. We will give the world something to believe in again. Not come by love. We have a score to settle. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sounds are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast, and they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast, and your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello, and welcome to the Sequel Cast. The Sequel Cast is a podcast that looks at movies in a franchise one film at a time, and we're wrapping up our. Uh, two-film look at the uh, movies based on the Anne Rice Vampire Chronicles. This week, we're looking at Queen of the Damned. Released in 2002, this was directed by Michael Reimer, written by Scott Abbott and Michael Petroni, uh, based off the novel's uh, interview with or uh, The Vampire Lestat and Queen of the Damned by Anne Rice, starring Aaliyah Stuart Townsend, Marguerite Moreau, and Vincent Perez, uh, with music by Richard Gibbs and Jonathan Davis, cinematography by Ian Baker, this um, movie was, uh, what am I trying to say? You know, it was kind of a reboot as well as a sequel, I guess. Uh, you can, our theme song, of course, is written and performed by Mark with the C. And you can uh, check out our website at sequelcast.com or go to facebook.com slash sequelcast. And if you like the theme song, again, uh, Mark with the C's website is at markwiththec.com. And with me is Thrasher. Hello, everybody. And a special... <laughs> to all you vampires out there. Very nice. Um, but yeah, what I was... Uh, so yeah, Queen of the Damned, you know, this came out, as I just said, in 2002. And Interview with the Vampire came out... You know, gee, like almost... Not 20 years before, quite, was it? But Oh, Lord, no. 2002. Oh, never What am I talking it was about? about? It was about... Uh, uh, t- 10 years, maybe. Yeah. It was, no, it was closer to 8, because wasn't Interview with okay, the Vampire 94, 95? Let's look that up. <laughs> That's why we do research here on the sequel cast. No, 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 no you see, prepared. we don't do research, and then we pass the you're, savings along. No, you're correct. It, you're correct, it was 94. We keep our uh, overhead low by not doing any legwork before the show. <laughs> And yeah, I mean, looking at the budget of this film, this was made for thirty-five million, and worldwide only made forty-five million. So it was not really, and that's you know th- those budgets you don't count advertising and all this stuff. This movie was not a success, really. Uh, and it's to be noted this came out you know before Twilight and stuff like that. So had it come out after Twilight, I think it would have been more successful. And in fact, uh, one of the reasons they made this movie was sort of similar to like why. Um, 
a Fantastic Four movie was made, oh, and that yes. the rights were running out, and they, they had to make a movie by a certain time so they could keep the rights for uh, a longer period of time. So when do you think so, those rights will be up again and they'll have to do another vampire, uh, Anne Rice vampire movie? You know, the latest I read is uh, director... Why can't I think of his name? Who's uh, Ron Howard and producer Brian Grazer are trying to develop a film based off the uh, Vampire Chronicles book Tale of the Body Thief, huh. which involves Lestat. And the story on that one is... Uh, I've read the book, actually, and it's about... Lestat gets so sick of being a vampire, he tries to kill himself, and he can't do that. And then he meets someone that's able to switch bodies, and he thought, oh, I want to switch and live into the body of a mortal, of a regular person, you know, for a while. And that the body switcher happens to be in the body of an old man. But then the twist is, once the body switcher goes in Lestat's vampire body, he doesn't want to give it back up. And so it's sort of a comedic romp as the... Lestat sounds like a fickle bitch. He is! Um, although I think in this film, I mean, that's one thing we can, oh, I guess, what did you first see Queen of the Damned? Uh, actually, I saw it, uh, opening weekend. Uh, I went to see it with, uh, my friend, uh, Michelle Zuck and two of our other mutual friends. I think I was the only guy in the group. Yeah. Now, had, were they fans of the books and stuff? Yes. Yes, they were. Yeah. And, uh, what was their reaction to the film? Well, it was kind of, it, it was, it was kind of, it was kind of mixed. Like we, we, we did... We did all like... I guess what the consensus we had as a group was that we liked the execution, but the film just didn't have the same impact as Interview with a Vampire. Hmm. Uh, I mean, so what did you think of it? You know, not reading any of the books yourself, did you find this hard to follow? No, I didn't find it hard to follow. I found it I found it enjoyable, but to, to, to borrow to borrow spill.com's movie ranking system it would have it's it's it was a matinee it was it was a good vampire movie but it wasn't a great vampire movie and considering they released it in the US in February is pretty weird that's usually not the best sign when they release a genre movie in January or February uh but yeah with queen of the damned i saw it in theater opening weekend uh, with a bunch of friends of mine and uh, one of my friends got so freaked out by the scene where Aaliyah, as the titular Queen of the Damned, uh, pulls the heart out of someone in a vampire club and starts eating it, that he, like, screamed. Oh, I love that scene. <laughs> and uh, so that was the most memorable thing when I saw it. And um, I guess before we can talk about the film, what do you think of Stuart Townsend? as Lestat, compared to Tom Cruise as Lestat in the interview with the vampire. He's he's alright. I think the thing that saves his performance is that he's not trying to recreate Tom Cruise's Lestat. He's trying to do his own Lestat. Yeah, I think Tom Cruise's Lestat was a bit funnier. Maybe the dialogue, you know, is more comedic. And he plays Lestat fairly, uh, fairly straight. But I think certainly among other things, Stuart Townsend has the look down. He looks like you know, uh, a very young, gothy-looking vampire. I, I think it's a look that you look at him and you can go, oh, yeah, I can buy that that person's a vampire. It's sort of a complete opposite of, like, the the big uh, wig that Tom Cruise wore <laughs> in Interview with the Vampire, you know? Well, that was the fashion at the time. Yeah, that was the fashion at the time, but still, it's... Although, that does raise an interesting question, because the first film establishes that if a vampire has a particular hairstyle when they die, that hairstyle keeps growing back. So how does a vampire change with the times to stay in fashion? 
Well, you know, even though Queen of the Damned is like a is a sequel chronologically, could you also kind of call it a reboot? I wouldn't call it a reboot. Or, I mean, it, it no. pretty much is its own movie. It doesn't really like if if Interview with a Vampire hadn't been made into a film and this film came out, I don't think it would change my opinions of it at all. It this uh, movie stands on its yeah. own. It is worth saying that author Anne Rice uh, of all the books, you know, uh, hated this movie and said she felt it was betrayal and thought it made her work mutilated and all these things. If you look up on her Facebook page or look up interviews on YouTube, she says all this stuff about the film. And I guess she was trying to convince the Hollywood... Because she had, like, a, I think a producer credit, an executive producer credit, and was a writer on Interview with the Vampire. Uh, yeah, she did one of the script passes. Uh-huh. And... Um, with Queen of the Damned, I don't think she really had any involvement at all, but she just wanted to give advice, and she thought, well, the fans really want to see something done based off uh, Vampire Lestat, which was the second book in the series, Queen of the Damned is the third, and it's all about, you know, the origins of Lestat, and she's like, we should really do it as a miniseries instead of a movie, because of all the stuff that happens, and um, they wanted to rush a movie out, and, you know, Queen of the Damned is the one they picked. So, I mean, there's a lot more that happens in the book than uh, what happens in the movie, but we can touch on that later. I haven't read the book in about seven years myself. Well, you know, that's kind of the, the, the peculiar thing, because if, if these movies hadn't been made, or maybe even if they had been made, and True Blood hadn't become an HBO series, I could completely see the Vampire Chronicles as a, a lush uh, HBO series. Absolutely, and maybe they'll do that down the line. I think that might be the best way to cover this material. I mean... A lot of these books, too, you could do as self-contained seasons in that, you know, Vampire Lestat is all about the origin of Lestat. Later on, you have a book about, I think it might just be called, like, Vampire Armand or something. Uh, yes. About yes, Armand. And then there's one called Blood and Gold that is about the origin of Marius, the vampire that makes Lestat. And uh, Marius is a, a character in this film played by Vincent Perez. What do you think of him? He's all right. I mean, I guess that's probably something you're going to be hearing from me a lot in this review. But it's okay. Everyone yeah. in this movie is all right. Like, I there are no there are no bad performances. I don't think there are any performances that really blow me away. Although I did like Aaliyah as Queen Akasha. Like, even though she does overact and there's very little subtlety to what she does, I think that works perfectly for the world's oldest vampire. I think I like the way she shakes her body strangely as she walks, and every time she talks, it's like, you know, multiple voices layered on top of each other. And uh, Aaliyah was a, uh, a pop star at the time who died about six months before this movie made. She was in a, a plane crash. Um, so it, it was also ironic that her trying to, you know, if she was in this, she was in what, that Jet Li movie, right? I actually don't know. I mean, this was the movie that was supposed to make her uh, a a film star. Yeah, she was in a movie with Chet Lee called Romeo Must Die. That was out in 2000, so... But yes, but th- but this is what was supposed to to make her a filmic. This 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 was supposed to make her what Halle Berry eventually became. And it, uh, right, and it, but of yeah. course, her her death got in the way of that. No, and I think had you know she hadn't have died i think she would have had a good career in acting and stuff she has you know it's not like a two-dimensional performance as you might expect from a a music star you know sometimes when musicians try and cross into acting it's just a disaster and um, yeah she's actually one of the highlights of the film i think as a queen of the damned so i mean you have a lot going on in the story uh the beginning lestat is awakened 
from a, a goth metal band. And he takes over as the lead singer. He just walks in and says, I'm Lestat. I'm the vampire Lestat. <laughs> and grins. And they sort of go like, okay. Yeah, they do band. seem to... I can only <laughs> assume he's using some sort of vampire mind control powers because they, the whole band really kind of warms up to him completely taking over the act in a matter of seconds. So what did you think of the music? It was good. It, it was. I mean, it's. It's uh, interestingly enough. I, I mentioned this in uh, last week's episode about about uh, an interview with a vampire. That one of the people that lived in my dorm uh, in college was a huge fan of the novels and was had this idea that if they ever made Queen of the Damned into a movie, they would have to be true to the books, and that would mean making Lestat a hair metal musician, which I thought was absolute nonsense. I knew that if they would make, if, if it were to be made to a movie, they would have to use a more contemporary music style. And the music that we get in this movie is pretty much exactly what I imagined it would be. Yeah. Um, you know, it's worth mentioning the songs in this film, mm-hmm. which you see bits and pieces of music videos for, uh, were written and performed by... Um, the vocals were by Jonathan Davis of the band Korn. Yep. And he did the music along with Richard Gibbs. And Richard Gibbs, uh, aside from doing a lot of soundtracks, was the keyboard was the keyboard player for Oingo Boingo, along with, you know, film composer Danny Elfman. I like that, that Jonathan Davis just uses his voice. I like that, that, that they don't sort of tweak it to make it sound like Lestat. They just, you know, it's a good metal voice. It, it does work. Yeah, it makes me wonder, did they mean to do that all along? Did they try to have the actor Stuart Townsend sing the songs and they say, oh, we can't have this? Um, I really don't know. But you're right, there's something you said in a musical number, having a real professional sounding voice come out. You know what? It, you know actually what it is? Uh, uh, fil- films are artificial, and the fact that the voice of another musician whom I recognize is coming out of Lestat's mouth when he sings only makes the film more artificial, but I like that. I like artifice mm. in my vampire movies. Yeah. It, 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 sort of, it just, it heightens, it heightens the film, the reality of the film. Like, I'm, this beginning of the movie, I'm totally with. He's like, with the with the band and all that stuff, and that, that stuff is basically straight from the beginning of the book, uh, Vampire Lestat. And the band gets popular and all this stuff. And then I think the plot kind of, and the less interesting storyline, which is kind of a focus of the film, I think it grinds it to a halt, is about the character of uh, Jesse Reeves, played by Marguerite Moreau, uh, who is yeah. a member of the Talamasca group, which they don't set up the group really at all, but they are kind of uh, worldwide, I guess, researchers of the occult. Uh, you know, they don't... Is that what they are? I couldn't really tell. They don't yeah, no, that's, that's what they well. are. Um, it's yeah. in the in the nineties. Uh, it con- in the eighties and nineties. It kind of became became standard that if you had any large work of fiction, whether it was a novel series, a comic series, what have you, where there were supernatural creatures, there was always a shockingly neutral organization whose only job was just to generally keep tabs on the supernatural creature, not to do anything, not to really understand them, to just kind of to watch them which is where we get the Watchers from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and in this movie, the, the, the Talamasca Society. Which, that's that's kind of something that I don't quite, like, jive with. I don't understand a group that just kind of wants to hang around watching awesome monsters and not actually do anything. 
Right, because, you know, it reminds me a little bit of the movie Hellboy, where you had an organization, but they had a purpose for trying to, uh, you know, recruit the, these monsters and things in their group. Yeah, with with the Talamascans, like, because I can, because I guess what would have worked for me is I could buy it if, like, the, the society was, like, founded in the Renaissance and was just founded on high enlightenment ideals of uh, of acquiring of acquiring knowledge and wisdom. But that being said, you know, what the fuck are they doing with this wisdom? They're just letting it hang around. It's not as it's not as if they're sharing it with people who need it. It's not as if they're they're researching it and gaining a wider understanding of the world. It's not as if they're they're handing this information to people who who might want to eliminate evil vampires and spare the good. It's they're just there watching and I I really Watching a voyeur isn't fun. It's only fun to watch what the voyeur is watching, and unfortunately this film spends too much time hanging around the voyeurs. I mean, even if the Talamaskans would have had a museum or something, I think I could have swallowed it a bit better. You know, maybe as a way to collect these artifacts or something. Because they have, like, a copy of Lestat's journal. Actually, I believe and, that's supposed to be his actual journal. Well, it, it is his journal, but I'm saying, like, you know, they just have it and they're not doing anything with it. They're just kind of sitting on top of it. And for some reason, uh, Jesse is fascinated with Lestat, but... You don't really know why. She sees the the news talk about how big his debut album is and how the music videos are all smash hits. But uh, and you you get a weird flashback in the beginning uh, when Jessie was a girl, where her aunt is uh, leaving the family and her aunt cries blood. And uh, that character comes back uh, later in the film. And uh, you know, actually, something you just mentioned is kind of a sad bit of irony about how the music videos are hits. No one was showing music videos in 2002. No, I think that was... The decline probably started in the late 90s. Uh, I mean, in 2002, did you even have YouTube, maybe? I'm trying to think. But, Uh, I mean, certainly, at that time, they were showing more reality shows and Best Week Ever and all these kind of things. Yeah, none none of the music networks were... Decent at uh, at disseminating music at this t- at this time period. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So. But yeah, I guess that's the thing is like when, when you call your movie the Queen of the Damned, I want to see the Queen of the Damned. And any time you ha- you're hanging around the Talamaskans, you're not getting the sweet sweet vampire action you paid for. Hello, can you hear me? Uh, I can hear you, but you still sound garbled. Okay. Um, keep on recording the file. I'm going to disconnect and reconnect to Skype. Okay. I'll but just don't, going. but don't, yeah, just keep the recording going. Right, I'll keep it going. Great. Tra-la-la. Tra-la-la-la. La 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 la. La. Music. Music that I sing for you. 
Why am I trying to fill dead air? And who am I talking to? Hello, hello. Hey, can you hear me now? Uh, you are coming in. Great, okay. Uh, so what, where did we leave off? We were talking about... Uh, we left off talking about how there was no place to see music videos in this movie. Was okay. Made. Yeah, so I mean, when this was made, you know, they weren't showing as many videos in MTV or VH1. You had more of the reality shows like uh, The Real World or game, sort of game show, talk show things like Best Week Ever. And uh, yeah, that did make it seem out of touch, but I'm not sure what you would have replaced it with uh, instead, you know. Um, well, just say that the music's hot. Don't, I mean, yeah. don't specifically make a comment about music videos because it's gonna seem it's gonna seem strange and alien. I do want to point out the director of this, Michael Reimer, has directed some other films, none of which I've seen, but he was a director of uh, a lot of television, including the pilot and several episodes of the Battlestar Galactica uh, series from uh, the 2000s. Actually, you know what occurs to me? What? With uh, if this movie had been made today and had been more of a serious project for the studio, not just something turned out to to maintain the rights to the property, yeah. Um, I bet during the year running up to the release of the film, they probably would have released an actual Vampire Lestat album and would have released music videos with as if the band had actually existed and made it a whole sort of multi part of the part of the whole multimedia blitz that accompanies any major motion picture nowadays i think so and i think that could be pretty uh effective i still think you know vampires are still popular even though twilight is uh running out in the theater and stuff you know the last film's coming out the this november and um but there'll be something else comes along. I don't know. Vampires come and go in their popularity, and I, I still think they're still... True Blood is still enormously popular, so uh, maybe they'll get that tale of the body thief or whatever they decide to do next uh, to the screen sooner than we think. And, I mean, one person uh, they've been rumoring as a new Lestat is Robert Downey Jr. Really? Which I think is bizarre. Uh, I'd give it a shot. I, I'd. Uh... Oh, he's a good actor. Uh... I've enjoyed enough of his recent output that I would certainly give it a shot. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, more about Queen of the Damned. Uh, it's really clunky how it sets up Jesse and the Talamasca group for not that long. And then she opens up Lestat's uh, journal, which they have in their library, and it just does a whole bunch of flashbacks. So you're getting lots of exposition, but not much happening moving the story along, really. Because you get to see Lestat... I guess be made into a vampire named uh, Marius. He kind of wakes up in this castle and all this stuff. But, uh, I mean, do you think that's as interesting as the vampire origin story and interview with the vampire with Louis or Claudia? I don't know. Well, with, with, with Louis in the first film, you do get a real sense about how... It, it feels more organic the way he's drawn into the world of vampirism. With with Lestat, it just seems rushed so they can get to him playing the fiddle in front of uh, Akasha. Yeah. And, I mean, in in the book, Vampire Lestat in particular, there's all this stuff in there about Lestat was part of a noble French family and then he, he's the upset leaves his family and then he becomes a vampire. And then he tries to come back to his family and his mother is dead is almost dead. So he makes his mother a vampire and then he has an affair with his vampire mother. And then all this other stuff happens. I mean, there's like all this <laughs> stuff they don't even touch on and you don't need to touch on it for the kind of story you're telling in queen of the damned. But I would have liked some origin stuff about Akasha when she was queen, you know, during 
how the first vampire was made. Uh, you know, they go into that in the book, but yeah, not in the film. With, with with Akasha, I did like you have so many opportunities for rich for rich period settings and, and moving the film backwards and forwards uh, through time. I really would have relished a chance to see the the origin of Akasha in in it's ancient Egypt, correct? Yes, yeah. And um yeah, cuz the way it, it just happens to be in Marius's castle that he keeps the queen of the damned who's just like in a stone form. It's is that from the books cuz that just seems really really convenient. Oh, and by the way, in this walk-in closet, I have the most ancient and powerful vampire who ever lived. You know, I'm not Sure, I can look that up for a minute if you want to keep on talking about something else for a minute about the film. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I'm just curious because that was that was one thing in the movie that I didn't quite buy. Why this vampire, why Akasha would just so happen to be tucked away in a corner of the guy's house? It just seemed like it seemed weird. It seemed like something that should either be in a tomb or a museum or under constant guard, just not just not hanging around in a guy's apartments. It was very it was very peculiar. Yeah. I um you know, I can't seem to I don't quite remember how she gets resurrected in the book. There's certainly a lot more to it. But it, it does in the movie it comes off as pretty damn convenient. That oh look in my back closet I got this ancient vampire with all this power and Oh you know what? That was another thing that uh, that Michelle and some of her friends who had read the book were saying that in the in the book, apparently they they describe Akash's skin as being so pale it appears to be marble, as opposed to this movie which just decides she's turned to stone, including her clothes, which is very peculiar. Yeah, it is. Um. So I mean, Akasha, because what Lestat doesn't fully awaken her when he runs across her for the first time. He just plays the music and the statue starts to crack a bit. Well, it shifts its hand. It offers its hand. Right. And then Marius gets jealous about this, among other things, and they get into a hissy fit fight. Oh, and that's, that's another thing. There really is no attention paid to the to the vampire that's entombed with Akasha. No. It's the, the king, and she kills him, but right, you don't... No backstory at all. There. Yeah, I, it would have a single scene showing an origin of Akasha or something, or even her getting like a spell cast on her and trapped her. However, they did it in the book. I don't remember. Uh, you know, would have been helpful. It's uh, and that being said, you know, Akasha gets woken up by Lestat's rock music in the present day, and. Um, but before because the power of rock can do anything. Yeah, and then before that though, Jesse's trying to track Lestat down in this vampire club because she decodes his lyrics. And by decoding lyrics, I mean she he says a name in a lyric and she's like, "Oh, that's a bar in London. I bet he's in the bar in London." Well, uh, well the thing about <laughs> yeah, that is It's dumb. That is kind of that is kind of like out there the captain's arms, but at the but at the same yeah. time I, I love that Lestat... I actually think that's sort of in character for Lestat to not even sort of disguise the secret vampire information he's putting in the songs. Just kind of... He might as well have a song called I'm a Vampire, Here's My Origin Story, Here's Where I Hang Out <laughs> for all the information that's apparently in this music. But the thing that I found a little bit not credible 
is that this Captain's Arms pub has apparently been there for, like, what, 500 years? Yep. Or is it one of those things, it's just one of those bars where the owner changes every three years, but the name never does? Yeah, I don't know. You think, it, it's not like the the bar looks especially old-fashioned looking. In fact, it looks a lot like the, uh, you know, what True Blood would later do for their Fantasia bar that a lot of the show is set in. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I thought the bar would look flashier and more interesting. Instead, it's just kind of a lot of people in goth clothes dancing around. And I just think it's lame. Jesse goes there and she says, oh, I'm waiting for my master, Marius. And they go, oh, he's dead. Like, I don't know, wouldn't they know if someone's lying? And I, I don't know. It's just like, and they wait to beat her up outside, then Lestat comes and kind of saves I, I her. Oh, this is just, I, that whole part's just kind of lame. I don't know. Again, I'm more I'm more interested in Lestat and Akasha than I am with any of the Talamaskians. And I think, I yeah. think that's this film's major stumbling block, spending, because like the first film, we had no trouble, you know, following a bunch of vampires around for, right. for a lengthy movie. I don't. This movie doesn't need to force a human protagonist on us. Do you recall how big of a presence her character had in the book? I mean, it was not not this big. It was kind of big. In the book, you get so much about Akasha's origin, and um, it's something else I'll touch on. I'll touch on it later in the film. <laughs> okay. But it's something they go into much more detail in the book, and there was even some deleted scenes from the movie about it. But I'm being vague. Hi, I'm Ray, and this is my friend Alex. Hi. And we do a show called No More Whoppers. Between us, we're as old as four RPG protagonists. And now Alex will give us a funny anagram for the name of the show. Uh, big old knockers. Uh. Join us every month or so on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Here at Chat of the Wild, our game club podcast, we have been using our lens of truth to do deep dives on the Legend of Zelda series, in order, covering one to two dungeons each episode. Our show also looks at Zelda-likes, such as Crusader of Senti, Golden Axe Warrior, and the bizarre journey of For the Frog the Bell Tolls. Join us right now as we play Ari and the Secret of Seasons, our first new release since Season 1. Or check out our past seasons breaking down nearly 20 action-adventure titles. New episodes drop every Wednesday, here on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Hey, uh, can I talk about one thing in this that I think this movie does get absolutely wrong? Uh, go, go for it. Okay, so we all know, you know, vampires are supposed to have creepy, spooky powers, and in a lot of recent films, uh, well, you know, recent as of as, uh, of the '90s, that's been you know super speed. It's it's pretty much standard now. If you have a vampire movie, that that. Most of the vampires are going to are going to exhibit super speed at some point. They're going to use it to sneak up behind people, to rush across the room and be threatening. So, of course, in this film, every damn vampire has super speed. The problem is the effect they use for the super speed is this really terrible-looking sort of stuttered blur, but. It's combined with the vampire, but whenever, like, it's meant to make the vampire look ridiculously fast, even though they could just use, you know, messing with the, the film shutter speed could do that. Um, but the problem is, whenever they, they use this super speed and create this blur, it makes them look like they're moving slower. And I think that's because they were just to make it easier for the. The, the animators to render the blur. So as a result, every vampire that's using super speed to chase someone, to threaten someone, it just it makes them look so much less threatening because it looks like they're gently strolling across the screen. <laughs> yeah, it's something that never quite works. And then I like it better in Interview with the Vampire where they just sort of flew across the room. 
And, yeah, and, I mean, that's a good practical effect. They really overcomplicated it by trying to give them a, a trail like the Flash. I mean, it almost looks like, you know, Johnny Cage pulling off his special kick move in Mortal Kombat, where there's shadows of him trailing <laughs> behind. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think that's a cheesy effect. I don't think that works very well. Um, so uh, the big sort of climax in the film is Lestat has a has a concert that he's pulling off, where all his fans... Well, this is after all the vampires have decided that Lestat must die for giving away all their secrets. Yeah, and also Akasha is eventually awakened by Lestat's music, goes to the bar and just sort of starts making vampires blow up everywhere and sets the bar on fire. For no real reason. But then she sees Lestat in a music video on the TV and she gets all excited. <laughs> I recognize him on the devil box. Yeah, it's... uh. But, I mean, you can tell that Aaliyah had fun playing Akasha. She uh, she looks great. She comes off as creepy with blood dripping off her all the time. No, I get the impression she had a great time playing the role. Yeah. And, um... So, in the film, you, you get the vampires trying to attack him, Lestat and Marius, during the concert. And then Akasha just takes Lestat away, saying, he's going to be my king. So, I don't know. I think that's kind of, that's something they do a lot differently in the book. In the book, Akasha takes Lestat to an island that is all run by, by women, and they want to try and convince women around the world to kill all the men. And there's a big, um, it's a totally different angle that's not even touched on in the movie. I mean, what do you think it's believable that Lestat falls for the queen and is kind of hypnotized in a way? I, well, I mean, Lestat's shared a connection with Akasha ever since he first became a vampire, so them hooking up in some fashion uh, isn't really all that surprising. I guess I'm still I'm still hung up on exactly why the other vampires want to kill him, because it's not as if anyone has actually figured out that vampires actually exist because of, uh, because of Lestat's music. You know, there's a deleted scene they took out of the movie that was like three minutes long, that, remember, in the end of the movie, you get these vampires that show up with Marius that are, you know, all trying to kill Akasha. But they're never introduced as to who they are. And there's a... Oh, go on. No, I believe I believe one of them is supposed to be Louis, if only because he looks like somebody in a terrible Louis costume. No, that's supposed to be Armand, actually, but... um. Yeah, I mean, you get these vampires like Pandora, Cayman, Armand, uh, and all this. And uh, there's a scene they cut out of the film that's on the DVD and Blu-ray where Marius is just, you know, kind of stewing by the Hollywood sign, uh, of all places, and all these other vampires show up that he hasn't seen for years. That says, And they talk each other that they have to work together to uh, to take down Akasha. So do you think, uh, Thrasher, that deleted scene with um, these vampires kind of being introduced and that they're people that Marius used to know and they all want to work together to stop Akasha would have made sense in the film? I I guess. Uh, but, I mean, I guess it, it would have made sense, but I don't know if it would have improved the film. Yeah. Again, I want, I want more Lestat and more Akasha in this film. That's what would... I think, I think that's what would... would 
start edging it more towards great territory. It may never it may never reach it, but it it could. There's all these little things that could be done that could have uh, that could have uplifted this film out of good and closer to great. I think the scene with Lestat and Akasha in the bathtub full of roses is kind of neat. How that shot. It was sensual. Yes, that's a good word, sensual. Um, but you know what I did appreciate? Uh, Claudia Black is Pandora. Well, she doesn't have much to do. Oh, no, well, none of the other vampires have a damn thing to do. I was just glad that Claudia Black was getting was, was getting work and that I could see her. She was my favorite actress on Farscape. Ah. And, with this, and the thing is, I, I saw the first season of Farscape all the way through, absolutely loved it. Second season started, and then I went off to college and didn't have cable for four years. So I have, to this date, I have still only seen only the first season of Farscape. I'll get around to seeing the rest, but I, I, I would just—it was—it was—I I enjoyed seeing her on the screen. It was the only really real exposure I was getting to her. Yeah, I mean, at the climax, though, it, I, I just think it just comes off as random. You get all these vampires to, that you sh- that show up, and all you recognize is Marius and uh, Maharet. Who was the the aunt of uh, of Jesse? Which they're supposed to be like vampire elders, right? Yes. But they never. Well, how old do you have to be to be an elder? How old is her aunt? I don't know. She's been a vampire for what thirty years, maybe. Uh, they don't go into that. I mean, yeah, it's just that if at the climax, if you just would have had like Marius or something. And maybe her, I think it might have been more effective instead of all these like extra vampires popping up. That you're just like, okay, I don't know who these guys are. They're fighting the bad guy. I guess they're good vampires. I don't know what's happening. Well, and, and the, 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 shame, the, the sad thing is, is that all the all the other vampires look like they have interesting characters and interesting backstories, but you feel cheated because none of that is touched on in the. Film. Yeah, I mean, one of them is played by Bruce Spence. Who was the helicopter man in Mad Max? Or the gyrocopter guy, I guess. <laughs> and um, he's been in a lot of stuff. But yeah. So in this ending, uh, I mean, this ending fight where all the vampires kind of feed on Akasha and some of them end up dying in the process is really underwhelming visually. It's not. Well, she gets re-statued, and that's 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 her fate. She's she's not. Because I don't even get the sense... Because she's not really killed, is she? She's just knocked back into hibernation. Right. yep. So this could all happen again, provided Lestat lives to fiddle another day. And does Lestat... He makes uh, Jesse a vampire at the end, right? Uh, yes, I believe so. Because she's almost dead from the fight, and then he, he turns into a vampire. Now, what do you think? Do you buy that they're in love now? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, that's in, in all honesty, very corny. I believe Lestat as a character is completely incapable of love. He can only take and manipulate. Uh, yeah, that's a very good description, especially for someone that hasn't read the books. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's manip- manipulative. He's sneaky. He's all these sort of things. Devious, which, selfish. Which does raise the question: what What does he think he can get from her? I don't know. I mean, I think the final shot is pretty neat of the two of them walking and they're walking normal speed and the world is kind of speeding past them really quickly. Which which is, you know, a nice kind of visual representation of the way the way a vampire lives, never changing and the world just spinning around. Yeah, I think that was the point. And uh but 
you know, these characters didn't have romantic tension really before. And it just as an ending, it's not very satisfying. Uh, is there any last thing you want to talk about, Queen of the Damned? Um, no, I mean, my biggest... Oh, well, actually, there is the film's... Uh, the film's one attempt at humor, which kind of doesn't quite work, where... Uh, where um, the groupies are backstage, yes, and uh, and and Lestat says, "Ah, the Talamaskan," and one of the other groupies says, "I'm Episcopalian," Ugh. which, like, I that that just does not seem like a joke that would that that would have appeared in like that joke just seems to have come out of another movie. Well, and also the the film like, has a real absence of humor, and so any one joke would call attention to itself. Yeah, I mean, I think I guess what it is is if this movie's going to have any sense of humor at all, it needs to be a very dark sense of humor, which Lestat could deliver, but they don't really give him anything darkly comic to do. So that that little bit of wordplay just completely comes out of left field and and just doesn't 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 have the impact that it probably should. Hmm. And the other thing is, it doesn't break any tension because there's absolutely no tension in that scene. No, no, there's not. And I mean, at the beginning, you get the scene with the groupies where he kills the groupies. Um, and yeah, there's something about him having a sleazy agent representing him, but nothing's really done with that character. It's uh, I just recall the book having a whole lot more to it. I'll have to read it again. Um, One, two, three, four, four. Rate it! So, we're going to give a rating now of Queen of the Damned out of five stars. I think Queen of the Damned is is okay. It could have been worse. It certainly could have been a lot better. It's, um... Lestat is uh, interesting as a character, and I just wish they would have had a more interesting story. But I dislike uh, the character of Jesse and all the Talmaskin stuff. I give Queen of the Damned um, two and a half out of five stars. You know, I gotta go. I gotta go two and a half as well. Uh, the looking, looking, you know, back on it for this this podcast. While I did enjoy it, I didn't enjoy it very much. <laughs> and I don't know. I, I I love Aaliyah in this film. I wanted to see more Aaliyah, and the, her absence through so much of the film is what keeps it in two and a half territory instead of going up to three, three and a half, maybe even four, if the focus had been more tightly on her. Yeah, absolutely. That is absolutely the case. The hosts are wound up. So it's time to pitch a sequel! A sequel! A sequel! A sequel! So why don't we move on to pitch a sequel in which we pretend like the sequel was made to this and if we'd pitch a sequel to the Queen of the Damned, you know, not I guess not taking books into consideration, what would we do as a storyline? Uh, I'll begin. I think with Queen of the Damned, I would make a, uh, a sequel about something happens where, for whatever reason, Jesse and Lestat are really in love and something happens that kills Jesse, and for the first time in his life, Lestat feels heartbroken. And um, and, how, and how, how does he deal with that heartbreak by just going around and killing as many, dating and killing as many women as possible? 
So it would be a bizarre vampire romantic horror comedy in which, uh, you know, eventually Lestat would find someone to fall in love with. But he has to go through a lot of other women to get through his rebound period first. It would be called um, Lover of the Damned. Uh, it's a terrible idea. Jeez. Okay, what's yours, Thrasher? <laughs> okay. Uh, mine uh, mine is going to be uh, uh, Queen Damned 2.0, which takes huh. place in the distant future of 2075. Okay. Where a new ba- where a new group of musicians have rediscovered the old recordings, uh, the old vintage CD recordings of the Vampire Lestat, and have started doing covers and remixes. And it turns out those remixes have the power to control the undead. And the only two vampires that are immune are Lestat himself and Akasha, who is once again uh. awakened from hibernation by the sound of a remix of one of the Vampire Lestat songs. Okay. So. Uh, one of the so the crooked record producer realizes this, and st- who who is also immortal because he's a Frankenstein monster. Uh, he's the same one from this film, at least parts of him are. And so he wants to form an uh, indestructible army of the undead. So he keeps getting these musicians to do more remixes and mashups using Lestat, uh, and is going to you know use them to take over the world. So Lestat and Akasha. Uh, pick up their samurai swords because we discover that both of them spent time in Japan at various points in the past and were taught by ancient by an ancient ninja clan. And they go on a katana wielding, machine gun shooting massacre through the recording industry to uh, to take down uh, to take down the crooked record producer and free the undead from eternal bondage. Hmm. And I give it four stars. Okay. Uh, I do want to mention, I don't think I've said this yet, but Sequel Cast uh, is part of the Battleship Pretension podcast fleet. So if you like movie podcasts like the Sequel Cast and want to check out other stuff, uh, you can go to battleshippretension.com and they have podcasts on there such as Battleship Pretension, which looks at films, uh, the previously on, which looks at TV shows, uh, the uh, What the Fuck Are You Watching podcast, where they look at kind of uh, Kyle Anderson and Lincoln Hayes look at cult movies. The auteur cast where uh, Rudy Obias and West Anthony look at, you know, movies, uh, a director's filmography one film at a time. And uh, the sequel cast is on there as well. So if you like sequel cast, you might want to check out some other shows that are part of the Battleship Pretension fleet at battleshippretension.com. Um, have you listened to any of those shows, uh, Thrasher? Um... Not recently. I used to be a fairly uh, regular listener to Battleship Pretension, uh, uh, and then uh, I started listening to Comedy Bang Bang, and then kind of got sucked into the Earwolf podcasting network. <laughs> Although I do, if 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 uh, uh, Battleship Pretension gets a, a comedian I really like on, I, I typically listen to that. Yeah, episode. they have a lot of comedians as guests um, sometimes, which is good. Um, but I, I recommend if you like sequel cast, you'd like those shows over at BattleshipPretension.com. Uh, so, I mean, back to Queen of the Damned, we've uh, done pitch a sequel. Now we should do uh, What You're Watching. What, 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 what you watching? Which we talk about a piece of media that we've enjoyed over the past uh, week, whether it be video game, what you watching, video game, man? book, or film. I'm glad you asked, Thrasher. You know, watching all these vampire uh, films, doing the Vampire Chronicles, have kind of gotten me in the mood. And uh, 
mood for Halloween stuff, and I rented the uh, recent Tim Burton film Dark Shadows, based on the uh, soap oh. opera from the that's been around for like fifty years or something. Uh, have you ever seen that TV show? I absolutely love Dark Shadows. That is that is my favorite uh, soap opera. I I wish it could have gone on forever. <laughs> But it had a phenomenal run while it was on, and it and it touches on every kind of horror, which is what's so amazing about I've it. I've only seen a little bit of the very first season when it was in black and white, and Barnabas wasn't even a character of it on it yet. Yeah, you really you can really just sort of skip to when Barnabas oh, okay. shows up. Uh, that's when it gets really, really good. Up until then, it's pretty much a standard soap opera. But once Barnabas shows up and the supernatural horror elements start invading the show, it it becomes an amazing ride. Yeah, so I haven't seen that much of the show, but watching this uh, the Dark Shadows film, you know, directed by Tim Burton, starring Johnny Depp, I thought it was okay. You know, they they have it take place, I, I think, in the um, let me find the exact year because if I get this wrong, this will bother me. Uh, it has like all of Tim Burton's film has really interesting costumes and sets. And the acting is uh, on purpose, you know, very theatrical, very much like a soap opera, uh, which some people could consider bad acting, but I think it's a stylistic choice. Well, generally that works. Tim Burton works really well with heightened mm-hmm. performances. And uh, the film takes place in 1972. And I, I, I don't know how much it has to do with the TV show. I'd be curious if you watched it, Thrasher, so what your thoughts on the film would be. I think it's okay. You have a lot of characters. You have a lot of plot lines going on uh, in the film. And I think the the ending is really, really cheesy. And the movie worldwide did well, but in the U.S. it didn't do very well. And it doesn't help that they released it in May, which uh, considering the kind of tone for the thing, it's about a vampire, for God's sake. It should have been released in October. Yeah, it probably would have done better as a as a Halloween goofy film. Yeah, but I mean, like worldwide, it's made over two hundred fifty million dollars, so huh. it's uh, not not the flop that some people might perceive it to be. But I think it was okay. I don't know if I'd recommend it, but I think certainly if you're talking about recent uh, Tim Burton films, Dark Shadows was better than Alice in Wonderland from a few years ago. Um, Thrasher, what have you been watching? Well, this past week. Uh my girlfriend Sarah had a few extra days off, and the the short of it is, among other things, we ended up watching the entirety of the Hellraiser film series, from the beginning to the current end. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> the it, it 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 was it was quite it was a great ride until it became a slog. Because um, like b- b- before this point. I had stopped at Hellraiser 3. I had seen 1, 2, and 3 and hadn't seen any of the ones that came after that. And we managed to get through uh, get through all of them, including the last two or three, which are, uh, which are uh, direct, to, uh, direct to DVD. I've never seen... Including oh, the yeah. last one, which doesn't even have the original content. Huh. How did you track those down? That must have been challenging. Oh, no, no, they were all available on a, a streaming service who I will not name because they're not paying me money. Oh, okay, I didn't know that, huh. So, yeah, I've never <laughs> seen a Hellraiser film. I've always meant to, and uh, so if you were to recommend one aside from the original, what would it be? Like, so you would, uh, you would do a marathon, what would the top three Highlander, or not Highlander, uh, Hellraiser films be? Okay, if uh, 
I would do the t- my top three. See the first, see the second, and then see the fourth. The fourth one has some stuff in space and some stuff in the past, right? Yeah, the fourth the fourth one parts of it. The fourth one like spans several hundred years because it uh, it it begins in the in the distant future, but then touches on the origins of the Hellraiser puzzle box, and then has bits and pieces that take place in the modern day. And so it kind of it moves around through time, but I actually rather like the way that it does that. I actually was all set up to to hate to to hate it, but it's actually surprisingly enjoyable. And it does if you if you were to watch this film last, it does tie a very nice bow onto the onto the whole Hellraiser mythos. It it wraps everything up from beginning to end very very nicely. Was well, the later films pretty tenuously connected to Hellraiser and Pinhead? Well, like the, there's like the second to last one, uh, uh, Hell World, is it, it does it does so many things wrong. One, it's about an MMORPG, which you never really like. Whenever you see anyone playing it, it looks like the most boring, tedious. It looks like a shitty Facebook game, is what it looks like. Uh, the the Hell World game, and yet it's ridiculously popular. Um, the the way the villain accomplishes his his plan makes absolutely no sense. Uh, what happens? And the other the other thing that, that really kind of ticks me off about that. And the hell, yeah, what the hell? I'll give it away. Most of that movie is actually a hallucination. Meaning that all the stuff we've seen involving Pinhead is not really Pinhead. It's just people hallucinating Pinhead. Ugh. It's just kind of the, the... It's like they try to make the It Was All a Dream moment a bit more sophisticated by having it all involving drugs and brainwashing and the villain's plan, but it just does not work. Which is a shame because some interesting stuff does happen in in the film, and up and and up to a point, I actually thought the twist was going to be that it was all fake, that there was no puzzle box, that this was a killer who was using the Hellraiser mythology as the basis for his murders, which I think would have been amazing. But no, it turns out that all that stuff is real, and it loosely inter and it kind of intersects with the film at the end. Hmm. Pretty neat. I'll have to check. Um... At least the first couple of those out. Yeah. Sounds pretty good. All right, so um hope you enjoyed us talking about Queen of the Damned. What franchise are we gonna do next, Thrasher? Let's do this live on the air. So oh, you should gosh. you should pick well, out something. I guess we we've I We've sewn up I think horror. So. Uh, you've got plenty of Halloween episodes to listen to in November, much like the old Simpsons Halloween specials. Um so I'm thinking Maybe we ought to do something do something lighter. Maybe we ought to do a uh, a comedy like series. Like what? Well, I'm thinking what if we did uh what if we did something and also something a bit more recent. Yeah. What if we did uh a comedy duology like uh Forgetting Sarah Marshall and Get Him to the That's group. a good idea. Sure. So I mean those are Yeah, we'll do those next. I don't know what you'd call that series, but they both have that Russell Brand playing the same character in both of them, and uh, they're they're a Brandquil. We'll call it a, a Brandquil. Brand okay. So tune in uh, next week to the sequel cast, in which we'll be covering "Forgetting Sarah Marshall," part of the uh, Russell Brand as a rocker. I can't think of his name. Duology. We we will be forgetting the Vampire Chronicles by forgetting Sarah Marshall. Very good. All right, and of course, check us out at sequelcast.com. 
have a vampire good time. Yeah. I, uh... Hopefully the experience won't suck. Your blood. Uh, d- don't be a Halloweeny and listen to the sequel cast. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> That's the best one so far.